0: following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester,
1: New York. Well, I want to uh, introduce today's guest speaker, and uh, it's my friend, uh, Reverend Matthew Nikoloff. Matthew is the pastor at Southwedge Mission on Caroline Street, and since they meet at night, Matthew and his family often worship with us on the mornings, and it's been great to have them be part of our Uh, community in that way and Matthew graciously agreed to uh, fill in for me today. Um, We had our Journey Together membership course yesterday. Some of you were there. It's always a really wonderful time but it basically involves me talking for uh, the better part of six hours (laughs) and so I've learned over the years do not preach the day after that. Um, and so Matthew is going to uh, bring a great message for us today. Matthew comes from the Lutheran tradition, which is uh, one of the reasons we had to sing that Psalm 130 hymn, because that's a setting that uh, uh, came from Martin Luther. Um, and uh, he's become a, a friend to me over the years he's been in Rochester. I'm so grateful for for his ministry, and um, our partnership with them has been really fun, too. So I'm going to read today's uh, text before Matthew comes, and then I'll ask you to join me in welcoming him. Uh, today is the last Sunday before the season of Lent begins. Um, by the way, as far as that goes, uh, speaking of collaboration with the, Th- the South Wedge Mission, we have uh, Ash Wednesday observance this Wednesday at the mission. We won't be doing that here. We'll be uh, at South Wedge Mission. It's 125 Caroline Street. And that's, if I'm remembering right, 730 for the liturgy. Okay. Uh, and so I encourage all of you who want to observe Ash Wednesday to go do that, um, as I will, uh, at the South Wedge. Mission, But this is the last Sunday before Lent begins. It's also the last Sunday for the season after Epiphany. And it happens to be Transfiguration Sunday, just a wild gospel text for us today. And uh, Matthew gets to uh, elucidate it for us. So this is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And uh, will you join me in welcoming my friend, uh, Reverend Matthew Nikoloff.
0: And grace, mercy, and peace is yours from the triune God. Amen. So, as Scott said, we're really, really grateful um, to have Artisan as our church home on Sunday mornings. Uh, a lot of clergy and pastors and uh, theological types actually attend the mission because it's at night and often share how thankful they are to have a place they can just worship. Um, oftentimes, we as pastors pretend that like being a pastor equals being a disciple, or that being a uh, pastor equals being a Christian, because we talk about the Bible all the time. And it's really nice to have a place where not only I, but my family can come and not be like the pastor family and just be uh, disciples who are also learning how to follow Jesus from a really wonderful guide uh, from a beautiful community. Uh, I often joke, Artisan's the church I kind of wanted to start when I came to Rochester, but it's already existed, which is great. So the mission can be what it needs to be. But even before we came here, we had some friends in Denver, uh, Jonathan and Audrey. Adrian, sorry, uh, Andrea, yeah. Of course, such good friends that I can remember them now, but, but they, they actually were at our church that I, was, uh, that I was apprenticed at, the House for All Sinners and Saints in Denver, and they told us all about Artisan and said we should check it out, and so even before we came here, we had an Artisan family, met the Ippolitos, hang out on Monday nights, and just felt like we had a church, and that really sustains us and energizes us to do the work at the mission and to reach out to folks who maybe worship in a different way or who come from a different perspective and need that. But what I love about our collaborations, um, what I love about being the church here, is that there's only one church in this neighborhood, and it's God's church. It's the Christian church. It's Jesus' church. And it's so cool that there are different expressions. There's morning expressions, evening expressions, expressions with guitars, and expressions with chants. And we all have different roles and gifts that we can bring. And I'm, I'm excited that we all belong to kind of the same biodiversity and this spiritual ecology that we share. So... All that is just to say thank you so much um, for what you give to our family. And also thanks for all of the sermons that get written here on Sunday mornings <laughs> while I'm worshiping. So they, do, they do give. We use the same lectionary, which is really great. Or we have been, at least, when you guys are on the lectionary. So that's really cool. Um, and it's also cool because um, you know the Evangelical Free Church and the Lutheran Church are distant relatives. I think it was like 1885 when y'all decided you were out in Sweden and wanted to bail and come to the United States and do your own thing and be like happier and more free. <laughs> Evan, you know, right, that, and, and and I think that's cool because you know I'm, as, as Scott mentioned I'm a Lutheran, and uh, I like I've been a Lutheran my whole life. It's not something I think is like better or worse, but it is kind of like an ethnicity. And for me, being Lutheran really is kind of like think German, Scandinavian. Think that like Luther song, the depths of woe. Right? I mean, um, when you guys started talking about depression here a few weeks ago, I was like, yes, this is like very Lutheran of you. Um, <laughs> like we basically invented minor key church music. And death metal, like, all, all death metal, like, from Sweden, is, like, based on Bach, right? It's all based on, like, our music. Um, we invented existentialism with Kierkegaard. We even invented God is Dead because of Nietzsche, who is a Lutheran pastor's son. I mean, we just, we do, like, the whole, like, dark, we're sinners who need grace thing so well. But I think something else that Lutherans do really well is something we call the theology of the cross, which is something I think both um, Angela and Scott articulated beautifully the last two weeks. This idea that God is not revealed in a theology of glory. God does not come to us in perfection. God does not come to us in, um, in accomplishment. God does not come to us, as Luther would say, through our works, but as an act of grace, and especially in our brokenness. God's fullness and God's glory is revealed in its fullness in the cross. Which means if we want to find God, we need to stop looking for the places that Jesus didn't go, like the places of power or the places of perfection or the places of perfect mental health or physical health. We need to go to the places Jesus actually went, the places of darkness, the depths of hell, the places where the demon-possessed were abandoned by the rest of society, the places where mental illness and cancer and uh, leprosy and exclusion dominated. And Jesus said, if you want to find me, Start looking in those places. You've been looking in the wrong places. God is the God of the liberated slaves. God is the God of the people who couldn't even have their own kids without God's help because they were too old. God comes to us in our weakness. We call that the theology of the cross, that God is revealed from the bottom up rather than from the top down. So like, again, depression. uh, Lent is coming up. That's like kind of our season, right? Where we get to reflect on how low down we are. Um, so it was kind of a shock for me personally when I went off to college and I'll talk a little bit about my depression story today too, which gave me that invitation. So thank you for that as well, because I went to college and, uh, I had just met Leah. We met in high school and, um, and she was like all into young life and evangelical stuff. And to me, that was like a revelation to me because like I grew up never really believing you could be like, we love singing, like you get that kind of like existential high and that like mystical union through singing with each other. But all the like kind of like joyful Christians, like people raising their hands in the air and like guitars and like, you know, not just on Easter Sunday, but like every single week, people being, or at least seeming to be happy in church um, that was new to me. People talking about their faith and talking about, um, their, what they were doing to grow in their faith. Like, the idea of growth doesn't really exist in a lot of Lutheran churches, because we're just always sinners. We're always saints, too, but, like, as soon as you start growing, it might be, like, your own works, and you might start thinking that you're doing something and not God. And so we're just basically, like, just, it can come off as kind of, don't even try, just show up to church and take communion, and you're good. You know, like, we're, we're really good at that. Um, it just shun- and just being bad and needing grace, as opposed to like needing to do stuff, which is like what Catholics do, right? Um, <laughs> we we didn't we got out of that stuff, right? Um, but I really had a lot of cognitive dissonance in my mind from that um, after the initial kind of honeymoon period of getting to play in the worship band and having lots of friends wore off because everyone was like so freaking happy all the time, or at least they came off as being really happy, right? And all the theology was like airtight. There was no paradox. There was none of this sinner and saint stuff. It was either you believe Josh McDowell's 50 apologetic truths and the fourfold Roman path and all that stuff. And it was locked tight and then you're going to heaven and you made a decision and all that stuff. Or you're not really a Christian and you're probably going to hell. Which didn't compute with me because I was really depressed. I was reading Nietzsche and all this existential stuff and meeting gay people and atheist people and, uh, and Jewish people and people who are basically not just suburban Fairport people for the first time in my life. And it was like, there's lots of ideas out there, and it's very complex. And I found that for me, like, the paradoxical stuff that I grew up with in Lutheranism was actually really helpful. And I was like, oh yeah, we can be in community together. We can be different together. Like, my faith is not about making you become more depressive Lutheran like me. It's about us like getting together and doing good for the world, right? Um, And so like that was weird to me that somehow now to be a Christian I have to like uh, be happy on Saturday nights. Like I have to have emotional happiness. I have to have theological um, certainty. It has to be locked in this box. And believe me, Lutherans, we like our theological certainty. Like we got it. We have the best theology, okay? Like we are theologians. We're Germans. We do all the systematic thing really well. Um, But it doesn't all square up because it one of our key beliefs is that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And that doesn't make any sense, really. You know, it's a mystery. We believe that we're fully sinners and fully saints. Like, even though we're completely redeemed by grace, we still make mistakes and need grace. But whenever we make mistakes, we're fully saints. God has already taken care of everything. Like, we're, we're set. It's Jesus' job, not our job, to worry about who's in and who's out. Uh, which I found is like a great mental health thing to just... Put it on Jesus. Blame it on Jesus, you know? Or put it on him. Um, so it was really confusing to me. And I think in a lot of ways, without meaning to, my, my new friends and my new brothers and sisters in, in Christ really ex- exacerbated my mental struggles and my mental illness, which was really chemical and just cultural and, and a lot of other things in my life. And going to a biblical counselor where the idea was just believe more or just feel more or just agree to the Westminster Confession of Faith because we're all, you know, a certain kind of Presbyterian and then you'll be fine and be like, there's like billions of other Christians in the world and not just this little bit of stuff, right? Um, so it was hard. And so for me, like, I took refuge in my own kind of depressive niche because it was nice to be kind of like the moody artist, like Christian who people didn't really think was a Christian and I could kind of like put my middle finger up with that, you know, be like, yeah, I'm a real Christian, but I don't hang out with those nice, perfect people. I hang out at the bar on Saturday night and I do my own thing and I'm the Christian who plays in a rock band, you know, and does his own thing, um, and so I, I kind of embraced that, right? Because in some ways, to be depressive and to have like that, that kind of um, identity in the midst of that kind of community, you really need to um, shape and forge your own space to protect you and to form you and to kind of... And I found that I gathered these other um, depressive people around me too, people who also struggled and had real doubts and had real um, concerns. And so I was really thankful for that theology I grew up with, of being okay with doubt and being okay with tension. It was paradox, and just being like, at the end of the day, it's up to God, not up to us, because if we could figure it out, our heads would explode, and it's better that that doesn't happen, so it's better to give it to Jesus. Um, But I thought, actually, for me, finding a real theology of glory... Finding the, the Feast of the Transfiguration in particular, the story of this, was really healing in my depression and in my struggles and in my doubts. Um, not because it was like, believe in this and it's really beautiful or else you're not right, but because it revealed what like, true glory looks like. I actually don't think we need to throw out the idea of God's glory and God's beauty, which you guys call awe, right? And, and beauty as, your core, as the core values here at Artisan. Like, we don't need to throw those things out Um, in order to uh, be fully Christian. We don't have to be broken down, um, depressive Lutherans just to be true Christians. But we also don't have to have this kind of cheap version of glory, which is all about pretty websites and pretty people and pretty emotions and pretty theologies that are all wrapped up with a bow. But what's beautiful news about the Feast of the Transfiguration and about this gospel today for me, is that God does want us to be beautiful. And God does want us to be happy. And God does want us to be glorious. And God does want us to be full of life. One of my like, key foundational quotes is from a, uh, one of the ancient church fathers named St. Irenaeus. And we're going to sing a song that I wrote based on this later in the service. So good luck with that. Um, but check, the, if, if I want, there's like one quote I want people to learn um, from church history. It's this one. He said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. I didn't hear that even in Lutheran church. I didn't hear that in Evangelical church. But I heard it from St. Irenaeus, and he was reflecting on this mystery, this mystery of the transfiguration. Because yes, it shows how amazing God is, right? And how beautiful Jesus is unveiled and like his divinity fully on display. But what the ancient Orthodox church fathers in particular held up was that Jesus isn't just showing us what Jesus is like, Jesus is showing us what we're going to be like. Because Jesus is not only fully God, but He's fully human too. Which means anything that happens to Jesus' humanity is gonna happen to our humanity. Which means that like grace doesn't just fix us up and patch us up every week and we do the confession and we're good for another week on our sins. Nor does grace try to make us into robots who have to fake it till we make it so that everyone around us feels like a little better about themselves or thinks that Christianity is beautiful. Grace actually transfigures us. Grace digs deep down under all the stuff that our false selves and the world and sin and our own mistakes and everything else piles on top of it and says, there's something beautiful inside you. You are made in the image of God. You are a unique and unrepeatable expression of God's creative love and I'm not done with you yet. I'm not content to just leave you as a rough draft that I pulled out of the garbage so that I could hand in... A rough draft. I want to make you what you were always meant to be. I want you to be fully alive. Now, to me that's amazing because I never heard someone saying you need to be fully alive to be a Christian. I heard me pretend that you're something else or just settle for being kind of half alive and be grateful to God for, you know, fixing you up. But I never heard someone saying that like you can pursue this life and have it abundantly like Jesus said. Like Elisha in today's Old Testament lesson, which we didn't read, we don't just have to ask to like be the next prophet, but Elisha asked for a double portion of God's spirit, right? When Elijah was about to go away, he said, give me a double portion. I want more of that stuff. I want to, like Henry David Thoreau said, suck the marrow out of life. I want want to go deeply into this stuff. Just like Jesus immersed himself deeply into our human reality, into our lives. Not just to say, this is just, you know, a dry run, and after we're done saving you, like your humanity, see you later. But this is the good stuff. To be fully alive means to embrace the mountaintops and the valleys. It means that we're going to experience intense pain and suffering because it deepens our compassion for others, and it makes us fully alive. But it also means that when we experience beauty... And when we experience real love and real um, glory shining through the cracks of our broken existence, that that's real too. That the beauty and the truth and the goodness is really real. To me, that's a gospel we need to hear today just as much as we, alongside with the gospel that God comes to us in our brokenness is what is God coming to us as in that brokenness, okay? So it's not saying, okay, we're depressed, so let's all become happy and glorious and do all this like shiny, uh, you know, shine Jesus shine picture Um, because that's not us, right? And it's hard to handle that kind of a picture of God. It's one thing to say, I like a glorious God that I can control and bottle up and market and use to sell my church and my brand. But the disciples didn't react like that in the story, right? Um, In in almost all the versions, one of the disciples, usually Peter, because he always, you know, is the first one to get it wrong, which is really what a pastor is supposed to be, um, is like, "Let's let's build tents, right? And some people have said that Peter wanting to build tents, tabernacles for these people was a way of honoring them because, like, the three greatest figures in all of Judaism were there and they should have a temple, right? A tabernacle, a special place where, like, we honor them. But when I was reading it this time around, it really actually made me think more of um, the story of like Noah's sons covering him up when he was naked. Or the story of Moses putting a veil over his face when he came down Sinai because people couldn't handle the light. I wondered if sometimes like people who have it all figured out or people who think they know what glory looks like or people who are afraid of that glory because it actually is way more amazing and wild and crazy and mysterious than we could ever grasp. We want to cover it up. So we want to cover up the glory that comes from depression, from mental illness, from the poor, from the homeless, from people of different races and ethnicities. When we are counting this glory, which, yeah, disrupts us and kind of even um, messes with us and causes us to rethink all of our paradigms, we want to cover it up. Even when that glory is coming up from within us, we want to hide it. We want to control it. But what if Lent, the season of Lent, starts with the transfiguration instead of Epiphany just ending with it? What if the season of Lent and the Christian life is about unveiling ourselves, taking off the fig leaves of the false self, of false glory, of false certainty, of false beauty, and, of false, and all of the other things which we let pass because they're easy and because they make us feel comfortable or in control. And it's about walking before the world fully unveiled in our glory, our naked, beautiful glory, just like Jesus did on that mountain. Sounds a bit awkward, right? Because we're not, I think if we're honest, especially in Rochester, right? Like the city of like abandoned corporate buildings and perpetual winter. Like it's kind of almost a crime to be like happy during wintertime, right? Everyone, if you're, I'm on Facebook a little more than Scott, but it's like every other post is it's winter, I'm depressed, right? Um, it's a very Lutheran city, actually, in that way. Um, and it can be insulting. I think one of the biggest things I learned in Mission Church and from people's journeys is that they go down that road of like the false glory thing, right? Church was all beautiful and well put together and hands in the air and everything. But then I get to college or whatever and I go through my depression moment and I start to doubt and I struggle and no one really came alongside me in that doubt and that struggle and so I just kind of simmered in it. But what makes me so sad is like when people keep going that route and they become nihilist Christians where it's like that story is not really true. There's not really glory in the world. It's a nice nice story, and I'm going to keep believing it because it kind of gives some provisional meaning to my life, but it's not really real, but I don't know where else to turn. I get that because I'm there like 90% of the time. But the transfiguration, this quote from St. Irenaeus, this idea that God wants us to be fully alive, something about that promise of God, something about that mystery of God, makes me think, what if I'm wrong about being so skeptical And being so down on like meaning and truth and beauty. What if like the Rochester gospel is not right? And what if this prosperity gospel of being perfect and beautiful and getting more and more is not right? And what if the gospel that's right is the gospel that we have in the scriptures from Jesus? Not just a God revealed on the brokenness of the cross, but also a God who comes not only to reveal God's glory, but to share it and to give it to each of us. Because that's the other lie we tell ourselves about God and God's glory, right? That give all the glory to God. It's all for God. God needs all the glory and I'm just nothing, right? You saw it at the Super Bowl last week. It's all glory to God. But what if God is saying, no, no, I'm trying to give you the glory. I want you to be more glorious. I want every single human being in this world to be fully glorious, fully the way they were meant to be. What if our mission as Christians is not just to, like, um, tolerate other people or to, pat them on the back or be grateful or listen to them, but to help unveil and draw out and bring into the world the glory that God is bringing into the world through them. C.S. Lewis has this great quote, which I wanted to um, wrap things up with, sorry. Uh, It's from actually, ironically, from his book, The Weight of Glory, and it's from a sermon he gave called The Weight of Glory, which is, to me, like the best thing he ever wrote. And he's talking about why do we need to talk about glory? Why do we need to talk about this goal, right? Especially as we're about to head into Lent and we're supposed to be thinking about giving up stuff. And we're supposed to be thinking about how bad we are and how sinful we are and how much we need God. Well, I think this vision reminds us why we need God, because we want to be fully alive. And he says, "Um, what practical use is there in the speculations which I have been indulging? Great question here at the sermon's end. Um, I can think of at least one such use. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about the glory of his neighbor. The load or the weight or the burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you say it now, you would be strongly te- if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship all day along. We are in some degree helping each other to this destination, so like not only reminding reminding ourselves that we have something worth giving that God is trying to fill us and transfigure us and renew us, but that the people around us do too. That we live in the presence not of like broken toys that just kind of live on this little island together, but beautiful, amazing, beloved children of God. And that our goal as Christians, our goal as disciples of Jesus, our goal as people who seek after the truth is not merely to, is to name the darkness and also to name the light Fully. Get deep into the darkness. Get deep down into the things which break God's heart and break our human bodies and break our souls. And also go deep into the glory that God wants for us. And then to walk with compassion and patience and gentleness, but also with boldness and reminding each other like, we were made for so much more, as Switchfoot said back in the day. (laughs) We were made to be beautiful. That when we experience beauty in the world, it's not just a random collection of ions and um, chain reactions and cause and effects that happens to stimulate certain chemical reactions in our brains, but it's God breaking into the world, reminding us, transfiguring us, and transfiguring everything. The Jewish people call the mission of the church, the mission of the Jewish people is called the tikkun olam, the restoration of everything. God's not just here to try to salvage everything but to restore, renew, and give each of us back to this world that God loves so much that God is not willing to waste a single bit of our experience or our existence so that God can make this world that God loves new. And it's in the name of this God that I offer this message, amen. So I'm gonna try to do this thingy that Scott does because this isn't as Lutheran, you know, which is okay. Um, But we're gonna move into our, our time of communion And one thing I love about the sacrament of Holy Communion, however you understand it, whether it's body and blood or bread and juice or wine or whatever the substance is involved, is it's like, I feel like the Holy Eucharist is this little bit of an unveiling for us. It's this moment when we touch physical objects in the world and experience them as kind of their true glorious nature. See, glory is not reserved in tabernacles. It's not reserved in a piece of bread. It's not reserved in a church. That glory is everywhere right now. God's world is good We were made good in God's image, which means that it's already there and it's something we need to uncover and discover and proclaim. So when we teach these, it's kind of like, when we take the sacrament, it's kind of like opening the wardrobe door a little bit and seeing that real magical world that lays beyond our false selves and the things that we pile on top of it. It's a little bit of an unveiling. And so as you come forward today, I invite you not only to commune with Christ and with one another, but also to Allow yourself to unveil the glory within you, to feel Christ, not just us communing with God, but God communing with you, filling you up, reminding you that you are beloved, that you are beautiful, and that you are being offered to this world as a gift, just as Christ offered himself and gave himself as a gift for us. And so during this time of communion, if you consider yourself um, a follower of Jesus, you find, you find yourself called to this invitation of grace and peace, you are welcome. To come forward, there's bread, gluten-free bread, grape juice and wine, so hopefully it, there's no dietary restrictions upon you. Uh, if you feel like it's not for you today, you can stay in your seat also and, uh, and meditate as the music plays. But at this time, come to the table. Come to the table of plenty. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.